Please be seated. I don't know about you, but that hymn always makes me feel very sad. When you think about what Bishop Wordsworth was writing about, he was writing about Sunday morning in England. And if you've ever been in England on a Sunday morning, you know exactly what he was talking about. Those silver trumpets are the sounds of the bells, the churches, the cathedrals, which you hear all through the towns and all through the villages. High and low come together to God's house to celebrate the Eucharist, to sing holy, holy, holy. That it's a day of rest, it's a foretaste of Eden, on Pisgah's mountain, where Moses stood, he viewed the promised land. It's Sunday is the promise of rest to come. It was such a wonderful thing, the English Sabbath day. No work, rest, gentleness. And we compare it to what we have today. Empty churches, no church bells, people working on Sunday, cars, businesses, haggling, doing, spending money, buying groceries, as if it's nothing else except just another day of the week. It makes your heart break to think that we don't have what he saw every Sunday of his ministry. Anyhow, I've been to his um, burial place. I'm a great fan of his. I venerated his tomb. And I uh, hope that his words from 150 years ago still have some sort of truth for Christians today who put Sunday aside as their day of rest in spite of the world around us. Let's bow our hands together in prayer. O gracious Heavenly Father, send down thy Holy Spirit upon us and grant the words which are now to be spoken with thy words and therefore all things agreeable with thy truth. And this we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. When we pray, I think very often we forget exactly what we're doing when we pray. I was thinking about this. Well, I was trying to pray, but also thoughts and truths when we pray. And I was thinking about the prayer for the Queen as we were praying for the Queen, which we do every single Sunday without fail. It's one of the things in our Book of Common Prayer. It's first brought in in 1549, and it's continued all the way through, even in our Canadian books. And the reason for that is, of course, is that if you don't pray for something, you don't receive anything. If you don't ask, you don't receive. Jesus said you do not receive because you do not ask. Not only that, you do not ask or write. If you ask for something that is wrong, you're not going to receive what you wish to have because God's not going to grant you that which is wrong. But if you ask a right, which means you have to think about what you're asking for, and it has to be a correct thing to ask for, God will grant you what you ask. Therefore, you have to ask the right. You also have to ask in his name. Because if you come to the Father in any other way but by Jesus, you will not receive because you're not praying through Jesus Christ. And so when our Lord was in Capernaum, remember he couldn't work any miracles. There he was amongst his own people, but he could do nothing. The reason he could do nothing is the people had no faith. They said, isn't this Jesus, whose father and mother we know, right? This is the person that we've seen from the time he was young. He's come back again after all these years, and we know who you are. So don't try to be a prophet amongst us. And because they had no faith, God himself could not work any miracles. Our queen can't do her job if she has disloyal subjects, if she has people that work against her, if she has a government that isn't loyal, if she has people who don't care, it doesn't matter who she is, she can't get the job done. If you have people who aren't willing to recognize her in her rightful place, then that makes her monarchy almost impossible to fulfill. Therefore, it's very important that we pray that God will put in the hearts of his people, that they will be loyal to her, obey her, and honor her. 
And if we all do, then the monarchy works. If we don't, we have some of the troubles that we have today. And it all comes down to prayer. And if we don't pray that, who will? Because the world outside is moving away from faith in God, and they don't ask for things. They don't pray. And because they don't pray for things, they get what naturally occurs. You get a Trudeau. You get a Macron. You get a Merkel. You will get a Hitler. You will get a Mussolini. These are the things that will happen because you don't pray. So therefore, we have to pray, and by doing that, we are asking God to change his mind. And I think this is something really big that we don't think about. Now, one of the things that we have to understand is, is that we have a God who is changeless and unchanging. We sing about that all the time. Yet we have a God who also changes his mind. Some people are scandalized when they read in the Bible that God repented himself of making man. And he chose to destroy mankind destroy creation in the flood. And it said he repenteth, he repented himself of what he had done. We also read in Joel on uh, Ash Wednesday that the Lord may repent himself of the evil. And we see this word being used over and over again of God repenting. Well, if God knows all things, if God sees all things, if God is a sovereign God, how can God repent of having done anything? And so people are sometimes put out by this and say, well, there's your God, so much for being all-powerful and all-knowing if he repents of things. But what they fail to understand is, is that God, yes, he is immutable. That's from the Latin word mutare, which means to change. He is unchangeable. He is unchanging. What he was, he always will be, for he always has been. But it's because they don't understand the revelation of the Trinity. And again, we must remember that Christianity doesn't come up with novel ideas and say, oh, look at our theory. Let's test it out. Now we know something new. What we have instead is a revelation. It has always been this way. It is objectively and empirically true. You've just been told about it. That's the difference. And so the Jews didn't have this. They didn't have this understanding. And so for them, very often, they simply submitted to law. And they became fatalists in many ways. Islam is also fatalistic. They will say, this was decreed by Allah, that is the way things are, and you submit to that. Because they don't have the concept of the Trinity. And because they don't have the concept of the Trinity, they don't realize that God the Father, unchanged and unchanging, whom we are told in our articles of religion, is without body, parts, or passions. And that's simply a quotation from theological works of the early church. That he is also actively involved in his creation. Well, how can God be involved in his creation if he is beyond his creation? If God is transcendent, beyond his creation, how can he be imminent as well? The answer to that is God is imminent because he is also the spirit. He is the giver of life. He is here active in the world, upholding and sustaining and blessing and leading and guiding. And God, active in his creation, can change his mind. Because God is interactive with his creation. And the bridge between the two is Christ. 
Christ is the door. Christ is the way. God passes from transcendence to imminence through the person of Christ. Therefore, Jesus says, the Spirit will tell you that which he hears. What does he hear? The dialogue between the Father and the Son, of which he is the witness. You want to know what God says? Listen to the Spirit. You want to know what Christ is teaching? Listen to the Spirit. The Spirit will be given to lead you into all truth. He will tell you of the Father. He will tell you of me. But the Spirit also responds to prayer. Because God in this world can change his mind. Because if he couldn't change his mind, what is the point of praying? When you pray, you are asking God to change the circumstances. If God has decreed something, we are asking him to change the decree. We're told in the Old Testament that one of the greatest kings of Israel, Hezekiah, had fallen away from the faith. He did not do that which was right, and God was going to take his life. But what did he do? He repented. He laid in his bed and turned himself to face the wall. He repented of his sins. He promised God that he would change if God would spare his life and the kingdom. And God did. And he became one of the greatest reforming kings that we have ever had in the history of Israel. He cut down the totem poles. He destroyed the pagan altars. He threw out the evil religion. He got rid of all the sorcerers, wizards, soothsayers, and the rest. And he brought Israel back to the true faith. And God prolonged his days. When we repent, there is joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. If we change our ways, God works with us in that changed way. He was working with you in one way. You have now repented. He will work with you in another way, a different way. Because it's almost like a game of chess. You make a move, God makes a move. Because he made you a free agent. He gave you free will. You have a choice to do good or evil. You have a choice to do that which is pleasing in God's sight or displeasing. The choice is yours. And as you choose, so God will also choose his moves. If you say to the Lord, I'm no longer interested, God will say, fine, I accept that lack of interest. If you're elect, he will hound you to the ends of the earth until you repent. That's one of the beauties of election. But generally speaking, you reject him, he likewise will reject you. Not because he's being nasty, but because that's the choice you made. If you repent and draw nigh to him, he draws nigh to you. If somebody has been diagnosed with something terrible, and you beseech God to change it, God will hear that prayer through Christ and change that diagnosis. And therefore God repents him of the evil. God can change his mind. And this in no way changes God's immutability, God's changelessness. What God has decreed, God has decreed. Who God is, God always is. But in his creation, he is active with his creation. And the bridge to that is through Jesus Christ. And that's why we come to the Father through prayer, through Jesus Christ. Because those of us who are living here in this world, when we come to the Father, we come to him through his Son, in the power of his Spirit. And whatever the Spirit allows and is said through the faith of Christ, God the Father says to it, Amen.
Whatever Jesus asks is Amen. When you pray through Jesus Christ, you receive an Amen. And that is why prayer is so essential in this world. You have warfare raging, pray about it. Right now we're praying in our family for our family up in the Caribbean. It's where most of my family live. They're being chased out of their houses now by fire. You want it to change? Pray. And God will pray an Amen. You have a friend who's sick or in trouble? Pray about it. God will hear it through Christ and grant an Amen. You want your country to be well? Pray about it. God will hear you and will grant his Amen. And so prayer is essential for the whole running of the world. And if the rest of the world forgets to pray, it falls to the church to pray for you and for me. Great things can be accomplished by getting on your knees. And so when you're at the liturgy, keep that in mind all the time. That when you pray, your prayers are being heard by the Father, who never changes, but is always open to change, because he's promised to hear us through Christ. And the most important thing that we can do is to draw near to God through prayer, because it's a dialogue, it's a conversation, but also to know that when we ask a right according to his will, we pray through his Son, that which we believe will be granted to us. And if you know that, and therefore believe that, you will have the faith to move mountains. And more things can be accomplished in this world by praying than any other human activity that there is. And more can be accomplished for the good of mankind by simply coming to God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ to beseech him on behalf of our fellow human beings in any wars or revolutions or constitutions or political movements or change. You can change the world, you can change the universe simply through prayer. I hope the Lord will bless the words that come forth from this pulpit. And now God is going to hear our prayers and to give us the means of grace to persevere in prayer by feeding us with his own body, blood, soul, and divinity, and holy communion. As we prepare the Lord's table, we shall sing our offertory hymn in 367, crown him with many crowns in 367.